Miss Macintosh, my darling. Chapter four. Long years after her disappearance or death, I had dreamed of no one but Miss Macintosh, my darling. Poor lost soul, her cheeks reddening in the terrible sunlight, her hair red as the red rooster's wing. Long years after she was gone, my hair cropped, my body slothful and immense, my flesh increasingly, increasingly vapid and vacant. I had been somnambulant, the creature of ease, my glazed eyes staring at the wall, the fish scales blown against a wall, the shadow of the sea, my mind still, employed by nothing but the dream, the dream of what was normal, and this in spite of the fact that my mother, who had previously not noticed me, as she doubtless had seldom noticed Miss Mackintosh, believed that I was losing my sanity. My last ray of common sense and knowledge before I had acquired my first. That I had lost my hold on life. That I must be drugged. That I must partake of the opium paradise in order to avoid that certain fate awaiting all who lived and breathed and walked. For those who died in the midst of life would never die. My mother was not even serious in this discussion. She twirled her white umbrella in her swan boat, and she called to her polar bear to come out of the mirror, and she called for her hairdresser to comb her long black hair. A great staggering blow had been dealt to, my, to me by life, that disappearance of my poor darling, who had left no trace, no way by which she could ever be found, and I had staggered, shrieking like the winds, striking at shadows, lashing like the waves, tearing my hair as the phantom sh should, speaking to no one, seeming mad. Sometimes the sound of the sea was faded to a single cicada's cry. Sometimes the sea itself would seem to cease to breathe. Sometimes the sea was swollen, reaching higher and higher, and I felt as if I were at the bottom of the sea and looking upward through the dark waves of the storm clouds tossing. There, there where were but a few distant life rafts of stars which I could never reach, not even if I walked on stilts like the stilt birds. It had seemed to my mother, mother that I might lose my mind if I had not already lost it, that I might be, if I walked, the greatest idiot who walked upon the face of the earth or water, a fool, or a madman, or both, and so I must be stilled and put away kept among the interior shadows and the crystal prisms which reflected only the dream of sunlight, the dream of refracted starlight. For what, she would ask, had ever been real, and who had ever known reality? And Miss Mackintosh, though she had not known her, had disappointed her by this very fact. My mother had decided, perhaps too quickly, and with little thought, that the crucial time was come when she must acknowledge her defeat when i must make that compromise which she a poor invalid sleeping in a charity ward or under the ruthless heavens had made years before me when i must accept even at so early a year long before the cruel hand of experience had been laid upon my brow my death in the midst of my life that i must lie still the companion corpse of her eternal illness for there was no other way by which i could live and the alternatives were always worse it was better to think of walking than to walk, better to dunk of dancing, no, better to dunk of dancing than to dance, better to think of playing tennis than to strike the ball.
Better to evade life than to face it and all its enormities. The things which never would be understood. My hair would turn gray if I lived. My forehead be covered by crow's feet. But if I died this seeming death in the midst of my life, my beauty, she had promised, would be immortal like hers. And I would not live to regret my choice. For I would have no memory of time's passage, and the years should not bring me age. The years should bring me youth. Time died when my love died. I should have many rare jewels, the inexhaustible jewels of Golconda, moonstones and lapis lazuli, filigree coral reefs, sapphire pavements, all the pearls of the sea and pearls no pearl diver had ever found, hectagonal crystal spars of seven or eight feet in length, fire opals and clouds, cat's eyes, many servants to wait on me, some with jeweled crowns, many supernatural beings beyond the ken of rational knowledge. I should have my ermine cape and diadem, shoes of gold, gold wishing rings. I should be like a nymph in a mountain cave, where our husband, the everlasting snows, the very grotto where the lone traveler is lured. This was my mother's greatest act of love, the only sign that she had a child, her acceptance of me when I was no more, her acknowledgement that I existed only when I had ceased to exist. Her offering me oblivion, as if I were born into death, as if like a meteor shooting far off its mark, I had bypassed this world and all its wondrous experience, as if I had reached a barren star. Her offering to me is something merely curative, secreted in a gilded coffee cup, in my food, in my drink, seeming also to be in the very air I breathe, in the noxious marsh dews, in the curling mists and fogs in the salt pools where stood the white angelic birds with folded wings, in the wild or slumbrous sea, the open paradise which should bring the power of wakeful sleep, of sleeping wakefulness, that great play of illusion which it must take the place of the world thereafter, all things changing their forms, their shapes, all things blurred as if seen under water. She had promised so many pleasures, fashionable sailing parties, though the boats had gone down, Leisurely rides on horseback through Poland, many balls, many evening guests, such a splendid coming out party. I should be the greatest debutante of any season. <clears throat> her lace and white satin draped around her in her ivory bed, her skin seeming as cold as the white satin she wore, her feet shod in white satin slippers with paper soles, such as are worn by the dead who have not far to travel. She was always radiant, and few should know the six months of darkness which had preceded one shining moment, and few should see her with her eyelids swollen and blackened, her face swollen like that of the drowned. And if I saw her thus, then I closed my eyes in order not to remember her, ignoring the sad time in favor of that time when her beauty should return, when she would seem to have no memory of a thousand roaring voices, when she would entertain once more her evening guests, the great round face with eyes which never closed, the small round face with eyes continually opening, closing, or perhaps a thousand canaries blown here by the storm and singing in the candle flames. I could not compete with her dreams, and I would never have been, though I should never wake again, as beautiful and embalmed corpse as my mother was, never so lively, never so charming, for I would soon become the creature of my own sorrow, the fat, stupid, indolent girl, great balloon of meaningless flesh, with negligee, negligee ribbons streaming as I lay upon the sand.
my eyes glazed, staring at the winds, the tides, the wild, storming sea, the night which seemed endless, for the night had brought my love, and the night had taken my love. My mind employed my nothing but the dream of escape, my, by nothing that was strange, no enchantment of unworldly gliding image or animated furniture, nothing that could not be realized in immediacy and in flesh, only the dream of one who had been so good, so true, so kind in the ultimate sense, only the dream of one who had never dreamed and who had given her life to prove that dreams were false. Miss Mackintosh, my darling, her red hair gleaming in the sunlight, spotting the fog where she took her lonely constitutional, an old dark bar dog barking at her heels as I could hear him barking long after she had gone, only the dream of that normal life, which she had always spoken of in no uncertain terms and from which she had fled long before she came to this dark house. The things that might be found by those who lived, the other America, the interior, the small town, the routine of Monday following Sunday, Tuesday following Monday, the washings on the lines, the voices of little children, baking day, recipes, knitting for the mission at some far Arctic post. Others might be surprised by what a rich girl dreamed, that she did not dream of riches. I did not dream. I lived in marble halls, for I lived in marble halls. For years I dreamed of nothing but a shoemaker's owl, an old tramp shoe which needed mending, a hammer, a nail. Never of the sunlit tapestries fading on walls, never of the hawking and hunting parties. I built a house of driftwood, though only the seagull came to the door. I lit a fire upon this beach that Miss Mackintosh might know where I was, that she, far out at sea, might see this light gleaming long years after she had gone. Perhaps she might see this star. I had searched for her everywhere, and yet I had not given up the search, even when others had said that she would never be found, neither in a great sea of humanity nor in the sea. Yet years after she was gone, I had found her ivory knitting needles in the sand. I had walked along the surf, searching the waters for what the waters might never return. I had gone out in a sailboat looking for her upon the face of the deep, looking at her looking for her through shadow and sunlight, had sailed in scudding winds, had talked to old fishermen drying their silvery nets on the beach, had talked to the red-faced lobster trappers, red as the lobsters they trapped, to codfish fishermen returning from the great banks with the full boats followed by the empty boats, to sailors of the deep, to all who were wayfarers of the sea. Staring through tears, my eyes blinded by tears, I had tried to write a book by the wavering light of the sea, but I could not compete with four snails crawling across the open pages, crawling into the sea, for their writing was more beautiful than mine, so I left the book by the tide. I had escaped, and the slow years had passed, and I had grown thin, and my hair had grown long, sometimes hanging like a curtain before my eyes. But my heart had not grown older, and I had not gathered wisdom. But sometimes I thought that I had given up the search for Miss Mackintosh long ago. No longer dreaming, no longer I searched for her as she had once had been, for she was dead, and my search was for life, this life as it would become. Here, where now a squall of rain drove against the bus window, here, where only a far lamp gleamed like a moment, like a great moon, and went out, here, where the night shrouded the night of the soul, which the daylight should never reveal. I knew what I had always known, that the unknown had always been, must always be her place, 
That was why I had come this circular way, by no direct route. I have gone to Iowa direct, to have inquired, uh, to have gone to Iowa direct, to have inquired at every door with a hopeful face. Had anybody seen Miss Mackintosh, my darling? She whose face I could not quite describe after these years of oblivion, but have been too suicidal and foolhardy a journey for that having the place of her origin, of her essential deprivation which had accompanied her through life, and she had certainly depicted nothing which was ideal, even in the remotest sense. She had said that Iowa was very ordinary, that the life was hard and certain and finite, that all but a few atheists went to church and they were very kind people, that all the people were visible or almost all, that they had known each other very well from birth to death, or as well as could be expected. She had said that the winters were cold, the children's ears were frozen, and that was why she wore earmuffs. One must break through the frosty ground with his hoe, and the ice creaked like a glacier moving. The sun was frozen in a cloud. Sometimes the sun was small as a pumpkin seed. The children's toes were frozen. The horses were frozen to their plows in the frozen fields. The carts were frozen to the frozen roads. The beards of men were frozen. The snow piled up in great billows even in the spring, and the early birds were those who died, frozen to the crystal branches. The cherry buds were nipped by snow. The smoke was frozen in the chimneys. There were frozen flames. Once a farmer driving his wagon with a team of four horses went through a hole in the ice of a frozen lake. And in the spring, when the ice was melting, when the great boomers were booming, he was brought to shore with his hands frozen to the reins, and his four horses rising through the foam caused by the breaking ice, the mist, and spray. But this was not Iowa, that ultimate realization which I dared not face. The fact that I should inquire for no one, this was only the stopping ground, Indiana, the promised land of which I had read in catalogs of wildflowers and seed catalogs. As near as I could go without being confronted once again by the bitterness of the fact by the cold, the lonely, the unfulfilled, the unforgiving, the unforgiven, the murderer, the murdered. But now this night landscape was crowded and blurred, the splotched cheek of the dreaming invalid. Morning should bring the sunlight. I should be free of the dream, requiring no medium of the dream to stand between me and the clear reality of simple days, for life itself should be enough, and no further illumina illumination should be required. None but the sunlight on the new buds and leaves, the robin redbreast singing. No longer, by a momentary quiver, I mean 